Somewhere around the Orkney Islands of Scotland, there is said to dwell a demon of the ocean that looks like a human and a horse melded into one and takes pleasure in causing famine, sickness, and death. It enjoys this task so much that it never rests. Of all the supernatural beings once believed to roam the Orkney Islands, none were more feared than this creature. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the Nuklevi, a horse-like demon from Orcadian folklore that combines equine and human elements. It's been described as the nastiest of all the demons of Scotland's Northern Isles. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you'd like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. I'd heard stories of the Orkney Islands from my father, who grew up there. He told me of their mystical beauty, but his words hadn't done them justice. His home had been on the island of Hoy, the second largest of the islands. My grandfather still lived there, alone now for many years. He was a sheep farmer. I'd only met him once, but I was such a young boy then that I had no memory of him. My father had left Scotland to go to school in Boston, and there he met my mother. He only went back to visit his parents a few times before he passed away, when I was only six years old. My mother, a science teacher, had raised me well, even though she did it alone, and she made sure that I knew as much about my father as she could remember. She had always wanted to take me to meet my grandparents, but we never had enough money for such a long trip. My grandmother passed away while I was still in high school, and then I lost my mother several years after I graduated from college. I became a teacher like my mother, and I didn't think much about my grandparents that I never really knew. I was living a lonely life as a bachelor in Boston when I received a letter from my grandfather. He asked me to visit him at his home in Hoy to discuss important family matters. He had even enclosed a check to cover the trip. I was over the moon with excitement and began to plan the trip for my winter break at the end of December. I wrote to my grandfather to let him know I'd be coming and when I'd be there. It was a long trip, but at the end of my travels, my grandfather was waiting for me when I got off the ferry in Hoy. I was surprised to see that his mode of transportation was an ATV barely big enough for me and my suitcase to fit behind him. He recognized me right away. You look like your father, he said as he embraced me with a surprisingly strong hug. It immediately felt like I had known him my whole life. 
The drive back to his home was long enough that my teeth were chattering and my hands had gone numb from the cold winter air. I wasn't bothered, though. I was too busy looking around me. We drove down long, winding cliffside roads, with hills that were spotted with sheep, and an occasional rock home on one side and the ocean on the other. It was so different from Boston and felt like stepping back in time. I was immediately in love with Hoy. Five minutes in and I was already contemplating never going back to the States. My grandfather's home was much like the ones we had passed. The outer walls were made of stone and there was a large barn that matched not far from the house. Inside the house was much more cozy than the cold impression you got from the outside. There was lots of woodwork within, except for the fireplace that was made from the same stone as the outside of the house. My grandfather took my bag and led me to a bedroom. Once he laid my bag on the bed, he turned to me. This was your dad's room. I could sense the sadness in his voice. You make yourself at home, and I'll go prepare something hot for us to eat. I was unpacking my suitcase when a black-and-white Sheltie came sauntering into the room to greet me. Well, hello there, I said as I stopped to greet the dog. I see you met Ollie, my grandfather said from the doorway. I'm surprised he didn't meet us at the door. He must have been having a good nap. He's an old man too, you know. Moving slower these days except when he's herding sheep. I was scratching Ollie behind the ears. I'd always wanted a dog, but didn't have the heart to get one and leave it alone all day while I was at work. When you're done unpacking, come get you some soup in the kitchen and we'll talk my grandfather said before leaving. A little while later, I found my way to the kitchen, where I found him pouring soup into bowls. He handed me one and nodded for me to take a seat at the small round table. He joined me with his own bowl and handed me a spoon. This is scotch broth. It used to be your dad's favorite. He said as he handed me a basket with several small loaves of bread. And this is soda bread. You break it apart and dip it in the broth, he explained. We ate quietly, and the meal was more delicious than it looked. I would have went for seconds, but I didn't want to seem like a glutton. Grandpa, I began as we cleared the table, are you going to tell me what this family business is that is so important that you were willing to pay for me to fly all the way here? He grabbed my bowl and set it with his by the sink, then motioned for me to follow him to the living room. The fireplace had a nice crackling fire, giving the room just the right amount of warmth. He took a seat in an old recliner that was worn from use. Once I was seated, he cleared his throat and began to explain. I'm getting old, Finn, he said, using my childhood nickname that my dad used to call me. It's getting harder and harder for me to take care of this place. The sheep are easy enough until it comes time to do the shearing. He hesitated for a moment before continuing. This place would have been your dad's once I died, but sadly he beat me to that. I know you have a life over there in Boston, but I wanted to offer you one here. Before you decide, I want you to spend some time with me and see what kind of life this is. See if it suits you. I was caught completely off guard, even though it was a natural request. I was, after all, the son of his only child. He didn't know that I wanted to shout yes immediately, but I held back. He was right. 
I needed to know what I was getting myself into. I have two weeks off until I'm supposed to return to work, I offered. Is two weeks enough to show me everything? Maybe not everything, but enough to get the gist of it. He chuckled for the first time, but then quickly became serious again. He reached up to his beard and began combing it with his fingers, exactly like my dad used to do. That was one of the few memories I had of him. We'll get an early start in the morning, he said as he stood. I'm sure you're tired from your trip. Get some rest and make yourself at home if you need anything. This was said as he patted me on the shoulder and left the room. I was a little disappointed. I had so many questions to ask about my dad, my grandmother, and about the island. It could wait, though. We had two weeks, and possibly much longer. I had a tough time going to sleep that evening. The excitement was almost too much to bear. I dozed off listening to the ocean's waves in the distance. I had the strangest dream that night, though. I thought I heard a loud crash come from the ocean. It was then followed by a strange, monstrous scream. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Knuckleavy is the most rancorous of the demons in and around the Scottish islands, without any redeeming characteristics. In summer months, it was restrained in the depths of the ocean by the deity known as the Mither of the Sea. The Sea Mither brings growth, renewal, rebirth, and harvest. The word Mither is the Orcadian way of saying mother, so she is the mother of the sea. In this sense, she gives birth to all living creatures in the sea. It is the power of the Sea Mither that reawakens the world after the harsh, barren wilderness days of winter, driving out darkness and bringing warmth and light. She brings growth and fertility to the sea and land, giving life to all living things and calms the stormy seas. Her enemy, Terran, brings the cold and dark and causes the winter gales and winds. It's he who causes the waves to rise wildly and dash against the rugged coastline of the islands. And it's his voice who rises above the wind in anger that the islanders hear in the winter gales. Terran, also known as the mythical spirit of winter, battles her for dominance. But drained after months of keeping all evils confined, 
Mither loses. And that's when the knuckle of E breaks free. None of the mythical beings who were previously said to prowl Orkney were as dreaded as the knuckle of E. Up until quite recently, talk of the knuckle of E was received with bated breath because of its utter horror. Despite the contradictory character of many mythical creatures, the knuckle of E was a pure evil thing. He never took a break from his one and only mission of tormenting the islanders. Only the strength of the mother of the sea, according to the old Orcadians, who lived in constant fear of the Nuklavi, kept the beast in control. They believed that if it weren't for her holding him back in the summer and his fear of the fresh rainwater keeping him hidden in the winter, the Nuklavi would have long since driven people from the Northern Isles. Folklore from Scotland holds that water in general should be feared. For the living who are not vigilant, the perils of rushing water, pools of uncertain depth, and the surging sea all represent a risk. Water does, after all, maintain life. Thus, it is also a means of salvation. Water is a place of collision in Scottish folklore, where water meets land, invaders storm coasts, and philosophies can migrate from one place to another. The seashore represented a line dividing the supernatural from the natural to them. Possibly for this reason, water also serves as a haven in Scottish folklore. It's stated that all kinds of supernatural creatures avoid the shore below the high tide line. The Nuklavi was known to roam easily on land, even though the sea was thought of as its natural habitat. It was frequently observed by mortals while riding a steed that was just as terrible as himself during these landward journeys. Other stories combined the two beasts, so that the rider and horse became one, creating a hideous cross between man and beast that they claimed was Nuklavi's true form. The limited descriptions of the Nuklavi that have been preserved tell us that his head was ten times greater than that of a man. He had one crimson flame-burning eye in the center of his horse head, and an extremely large mouth that protruded like a pig's snout from his human head. Nuklavis are strongly built creatures who weigh close to 2,000 pounds and reach nearly six feet tall at their horse heads and around nine feet tall at their humanoid heads. The most horrifying aspect of its appearance is that it's skinless. Yellow veins carry black blood while pale sinews and strong muscles are apparent as a throbbing mass. According to other tales, he only has two small arms and two very small heads, in addition to other traits. Overall, it wasn't a pleasant sight to see along a deserted coastline. Many catastrophes were known to affect the hard-working people of Orkney and were frequently attributed to the Nuklavi. Nuklavi was the root of all epidemics that affected mankind or lower animals, destroyed crops due to sea gust or mildew, or caused livestock to fall over the rocks that surrounded the coasts. His breath was poison, falling like a blight on plants, and like a fatal sickness on all living things. If this list of suffering wasn't bad enough, droughts that might gravely jeopardize a harvest were also attributed to the Nuklavi. We can assume from this that the ancient Orcadians believed the Nuklavi to be a very strong and dangerous beast, possibly more so than the narratives that have survived would suggest. 
How else could a terrestrial being have such a significant impact on the weather? The previous method of making kelp by burning harvested seaweed was supposed to be extremely offensive to the Nuklavi. The scent of the strong smoke, which the beast couldn't endure, made him furious and evil. When in this mood, he would let out his rage by spreading the Mordachine sickness, which was fatal to all the horses on the island of Stronse, where kelp was first burned in Orkney. Once it had begun to spread, Mordachine would quickly cover all the islands where kelp was burned. The retaliation from Nuklavi was brutal and total. It's also believed that Nuklavi has an aversion to fresh water, and those who are chased by him only have to cross a stream to be rid of him. Also, because of its aversion to fresh water, it won't come ashore if it's raining. Walter Trell Dennison, an Orkney folklorist who lived in Sanday in the 19th century, asserted to have heard a guy named Tomas who had truly met a Nuklavi and survived to tell the tale. Dennison claimed that Tomas was extremely reticent to discuss the matter and that a narrative only emerged after considerable higgling and prodding. Tomas, like his namesake, Tam O'Shanter, was out late one night. It was, though moonless, a fine starlit night. Tomas' road lay close by the seashore, and as he entered a part of the road that was hemmed in one side by the sea and on the other side by a deep freshwater lock, he saw some huge object in front of and moving towards him. What was he to do? He was sure it was no earthly thing that was steadily coming towards him. He couldn't go to either side, and to turn his back to an evil thing he had heard was the most dangerous position of all. So Tomas said to himself, The Lord be about me, and take care of me, as I am out on no evil intent this night. Tomas was always regarded as rough and foolhardy. Anyway, he determined as the best of two evils to face the foe, and so he walked resolutely yet slowly forward. He soon discovered to his horror that the gruesome creature approaching him was no other than the dreaded Nuklavi, the most cruel and malignant of all uncanny beings that troubled mankind. The lower part of this terrible monster, as Tomas had seen it, was like a great horse, with flappers like fins about its legs, with a mouth as wide as a whale's, from which came breath like steam from a brewing kettle. He had but one eye, and that as red as fire. On him set, or rather seemed to grow from his back, a huge man with no legs, and arms that reached nearly to the ground. His head was as big as a clue of Simmons, and this huge head kept rolling from one shoulder to the other, as if it meant to tumble off. But what to Tomas appeared most horrible of all was that the monster was skinless. This utter want of skin adding much to the terrific appearance of the creature's naked body, the whole surface of it showing only red, raw flesh, in which Tomas saw blood, black as tar, running through its yellow veins, and great white sinews, thick as horse tethers, twisting, stretching, and contracting as the monster moved. Tomas went slowly on in mortal terror, his hair on end, a cold sensation like a film of ice between his scalp and his skull, and a cold sweat bursting from every pore. But he knew it was useless to flee, 
and he said, if he had to die, he would rather see who killed him than die with his back to the foe. In all his terror, Tomas remembered that he had heard of the Nuklavi's dislike of fresh water, and therefore took that side of the road nearest to the lock. The awful moment came when the lower head of the monster got abreast of Tomas. The mouth of the monster yawned like a bottomless pit. Tomas found its hot breath like fire on his face. The long arms were stretched out to seize the unhappy man. To avoid, if possible, the monster's clutch, Tomas swerved as near as he could to the lock. In doing so, one of his feet went into the lock, splashing up some water on the foreleg of the monster whereat the horse gave a snort like thunder and shied over to the other side of the road. And Tomas felt the wind of Nuklavi's clutches as he narrowly escaped the monster's grip. Tomas saw his opportunity and ran with all his might, and sore need had he to run. For Nuklavi had turned and was galloping after him, and bellowing with a sound like the roaring of the sea. In front of Tomas lay a rivulet, through which the surplus water of the lock found its way to the sea, and Tomas knew if he could only cross the running water, he was safe. So he strained every nerve. As he reached the near bank, another clutch was made at him by the long arms. Tomas made a desperate spring and reached the other side, leaving his bonnet in the monster's clutches. Nuklavi gave a wild, unearthly yell of disappointed rage as Tomas fell senseless on the safe side of the water. During the 19th century, there was a growing interest in transcribing folklore, but the recorders used inconsistent spelling and frequently anglicized the words, meaning the same entity could be given different names. Samuel Hibbert, an antiquarian of the early 19th century, considered the component Nuck of the Nucklevy's name to be linked with both the Nick and Old Nick a name sometimes given to the devil, and with the Latin nicare, which means to kill. There are several water horses in Scottish folklore, but the Nucklevy stands out because it is a solitary animal. There are reportedly many more creatures such as Kelpies and Yuggles. There's no such thing as a good water horse, thus encounters with them are always perilous. But the Nucklevy poses an even greater hazard because it is one of the few sea creatures in Scottish folklore that touched down on dry land. The next morning came too quickly. I was experiencing some serious jet lag. We had potato scones and fried eggs for breakfast before heading out to start our day. In the barn, I found my grandfather had more animals than I had guessed. In my mind, I thought it was only sheep, but he also had a large tabby cat and a milk cow. I was introduced first to Lady. My grandfather explained that she was the resident mouser. Next, I met Lucy. She provided that fresh milk that he preferred over the kind you could buy at the store. Out behind the barn was a large chicken coop with a dozen hens running around pecking at the ground. He explained that not only did they keep him supplied with eggs, but also the neighbors as well. When we headed out to see the rest of the property, Ollie led the way, staying well ahead of the ATV, obviously more aware than I was of where we were headed. The sheep were scattered along the cliffside about a half mile from the house. We stopped and got off of the ATV so that we could walk the edge of the cliff. 
where there was an excellent view of a small sandy beach below. That's when I saw something odd. Grandpa, I asked as I pointed down at the beach, are those sheep sleeping? He followed my gaze and cursed under his breath. He then quickly headed back to the ATV. Come on, we're going to have to see what foul thing is at play here. I climbed on behind him and we made our way down a bumpy trail beaten into the hillside. Once we were on the beach, it was easy to see that the sheep weren't sleeping. They were dead. There were three of them, each lying on their sides with their tongues hanging out. Mortachine, my grandpa exclaimed like it was a dirty word. What's mortachine? I asked. It's an old disease. Some think it's a myth, but I've seen it before. It comes from the winter water demon when the air is dry and cold. He explained to me that we would have to burn or bury the bodies, and since the ground was cold, burning was the better option. While we were gathering wood for the fire, he told me about the water demon. He said it was called the Nuckleavy. I thought because of his age that he was just being superstitious. Believing in water demons would be like believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Once the sheep were burned and properly disposed of, with Ollie's help, we herded the sheep to the farthest part of my grandfather's land, to a fenced-in area well away from the sea. He said the Nuklavi wouldn't cross the stream that ran across the property, so they were safer there. The day was long with so many things still left to do after dealing with the sheep. There was a fence to mend and wood to chop for the fireplace. Overall, I enjoyed the work. I felt like I was doing what I was meant to do. I think this is what I've been missing my whole life. The solitude of the Oceanside Farm was so peaceful. That night when I went to bed, I didn't expect to have any trouble sleeping. Except as I was trying to go to sleep, I heard the sound from my dream the night before. But this time I was fully awake. I had just laid my head on the pillow when I heard the same crashing, splashing sound like something huge had jumped right out of the ocean. I sat up and listened, and sure enough, a shrill, monstrous scream cut through the night air. This time, it was followed by something else. Hoofbeats. Afraid that Lucy had gotten out of the barn, I jumped out of bed, slipped on my shoes, and grabbed my coat. I left my bedroom at the same time that my grandfather came out of his, he must have heard it too. Do you hear it? He asked me in a hoarse whisper. I do. Is it Lucy? Did she get out of the barn? I found myself whispering back. He shook his head and said only one word. Knuckle I still didn't believe, but for some reason I got goosebumps just the same. My grandfather put his finger to his lips to tell me to stay quiet and began going through the house making sure the lights were all off. Once the house was completely dark, we sat together on the couch and listened. The hoofbeats could be heard making their way through the fields, and once came very close to the house. Once in a while, that shrill, monstrous scream would fill the air. This went on for about an hour, until the night finally became silent again, and we returned to our beds to sleep. The next morning when I got up, my grandfather must have still been sleeping. 
His boots were beside the front door and his bedroom door was closed. I was relieved because I wanted to go out for a bit to look around for any signs of what had been making the sounds the night before. I put on my shoes and coat and went outside, planning on walking the fence line, but I didn't have to go far. All around the barn were hoof prints, like those made by a horse, not a cow. They circled the barn several times before leading back towards the ocean. I was starting to think maybe there was something to my grandfather's story, but I wasn't about to let it scare me off. I'd fallen in love with this place, and not even a demon could make me leave. I unlocked the barn door and went inside, and to my relief, Lucy was fine. I was worried at first when I saw that she was laying down, but she had just been napping because she stood when she heard me coming. I left when I heard my grandfather calling my name. Finn! He sounded worried. Boy, you startled me, he said when he saw me come out of the barn. I wanted to check on Lucy. I explained when I saw the worried look on his face. She's fine. Obviously relieved, he patted me on the shoulder and said, Let's go get some breakfast. But when he turned to go back to the house, he stumbled. I reached and steadied him before he could fall. Are you okay? I'm fine, he quickly replied. Just got a little dizzy. Didn't get enough sleep last night. I tell you what, Grandpa. Why don't you let me take care of things today while you get some rest? I need to show you that I can do it anyways, I suggested. I thought he was going to argue when it took him a minute to respond, but to my surprise, he accepted. That's a good idea. There are only two fence posts left to mend. You should be able to handle that by yourself. Once back in the house, I made us both breakfast while he sat at the table, and for the first time, he began to talk to me about my grandmother and then my dad when he was young. We talked for so long that I got a late start getting to work. It was afternoon by the time I got the animals taken care of and began working on the fence. It was getting dark by the time I climbed onto the ATV and started it up. That's when I heard it. The crash, splash, and the scream followed by the pounding of hoofbeats. I put the four-wheeler into gear and squeezed the accelerator a little too hard, almost causing the thing to buck me off. I could hear the hoofbeats growing louder as I sped back towards the house. It was a race against time as I tried to make it safely back to the house before whatever was making that sound could overcome me. But as I rounded the barn, I saw it coming over the hill. It was fast. It was also the most hideous thing I'd ever seen. At first, it looked like a rider on horseback. But as it drew near, I could see that the rider was part of the horse's back. I pulled the ATV up to the barn, but I was trying so hard to hurry that it was making me clumsy. I struggled to get the barn door open. Once it was finally opened, I jumped back onto the ATV and quickly pulled it into the barn. Then I killed it, jumped off and ran back out, locking the barn door as quickly as I could. I looked for the monster. That's all I could think to call it now. It was getting closer. I could make out some of the smaller details now. It didn't seem to have any skin anywhere. 
not on the human-like part or the horse. I didn't have time to make out any more as I heard my grandfather yelling for me. Finn, run! He was standing outside of the back of the house. I turned and ran towards him, but as I did, he took off through the field behind the house. Where are you going? I yelled, but he just kept going. I was torn. Do I run to the shelter of the house or follow my grandfather? I was afraid he was going to get us both killed. I had no choice. I had to follow him. He wouldn't make it far on his own. But where was he going? The hoofbeats sounded like they were nearly upon me at this point, but I didn't dare turn to look. I just kept running, following my grandfather until he finally stopped right at the edge of a stream. It was the same stream he had took the sheep past earlier that week. He turned once to make sure I was behind him, and then he stepped into the icy stream and began to walk across. Once on the other side, he turned and waited for me. I didn't stop. When I reached the stream, I jumped as far as I could, but ended up landing right in the middle of it. I was trying to stand up when the pounding hooves turned into the sound of skidding that was joined by another ear-splitting scream. I'm not sure why, but this time I turned to look. I could see the black blood coursing through the writhing muscles of this creature from the top of its huge head to the tip of its horse legs. But it had stopped. It didn't come near the stream. It began pacing angrily back and forth until finally the horse part of it snorted in frustration before it turned and ran off into the night. That creature didn't come back after that night and together my grandfather and I began to build a new house on the other side of that stream. I stayed and took care of my grandfather and the farm until one day the farm became mine. Some nights during the winter months, I can still hear the pounding of hoofbeats down by the ocean, around where the old house still sits. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you'd like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the SCP Foundation, a website universe where the Foundation is responsible for capturing, containing, and studying various paranormal, supernatural, and other mysterious phenomena unexplained by science. Until next time, Stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.